0: Well, if you're here for the first time, uh, I'm a crier. You'll figure that out. Um, I've cried a lot up here. Um, But that has nothing to do with uh, this sermon. But, uh, yeah, gosh, can you just take a moment? Um, uh, Uh, I think is. Most of you have gone through some kind of grief about anything, like a broken relationship, uh, someone close passing away, loss of something that you didn't think was going to affect you that big, and then all of a sudden it does. Um, I, uh, yeah, um, same just like you. Um, If you're here for the first time, you don't know, I uh, lost my first wife um, three years ago, so Mother's Day. Is, uh, I'd like to bottle it up and just put it away and not have to deal with it, um, but I can't. And so, yeah, I didn't think this day was going to be that hard. Uh, I'm joyfully married uh, to my wife now, and she's on a school trip with uh, our oldest, but uh, yeah. All right, it's nothing to do with Malachi. Um. But I didn't know this day was going to be as emotional for me, so um, be gracious with me. Usually you're not. So. <laughs> um, yeah, it's all part of our life. Um, and uh, we're glad you're here, and uh, we'd love to um, be connected with you a little bit more and get to know you. And the avenue we have for that at West Side Church are our community groups, which the Anderson spoke of and, If you'd like to be in one, uh, please email me. My name's on the back of the bulletin. I'm Jason, uh, the pastor, and uh, we'd love to connect you. Uh, We're at the end of Malachi. Uh, Malachi has been a mixed book to go through. I'm glad at the end that there is some joy uh, and hope, and you see God's people gather and look uh, to God's promises together. Um, But it's not without the last uh, confrontation where uh, Malachi is full of people who uh, there's rebellious people who are angry at God. And uh, seven times they say, uh, God, you're not being who we think you should be. And uh, God uh, very firmly confronts them. In that, and there's one more here, and then there's uh, a looking to the future of the great hope uh, for Christians for the day of the Lord. Um, and any, uh, you know, as this talks about uh, those who complain against God, there's also the um, there are those who have no interest in having a relationship with God and they just want to complain. And they want to do what I want to do with my emotions, is just put them in a bottle and lock it away. And they want to do that with God. They have no interest in dealing with Him. They have every excuse and argument that God does not matter. And the Bible calls them rebellious people. Um, but then there are uh, there's you and me, all of us who uh, hold on to Jesus, knowing that He holds on to us more. And we strive to walk in this new identity of being a new creation. And um, we also have doubts. And we also uh, get to points in our life where we feel like we want to shake our fist at God. And maybe some of us do uh, in our confusion. Um, But all of our complaints against God reveal something about our heart. Whether you are in the camp of having no interest in the things of God or uh, you uh, claim to be a Christian and say that you have faith in Jesus, um, uh, we all have uh, something that we might complain about. And it's an issue of our heart. And uh, if you are, if you ever deal with children or just people in general, you know that, uh, when, uh, like with children, uh, I have four wonderful children. Um, there, are three of them are here, um, and you, you know, I know when I deal with them, when one of them lashes out in anger. Uh, well, they're all pastors' kids. Let's say they did lash out in anger. Okay. <laughs> so sorry about that. Even if you doubted my holiness, <laughs> they lash out in anger. And, I, and this has happened recently because of Mother's Day coming up, and there's something else going on in their heart. And um, I, I realize as I grow that when we lash out in something, it means there's something else in here. Uh, it's like the, the lava flow in Hawaii. If you watch the news, that there's always been lava there. It's always been there. But something's happened that it is exploding and coming out and adding um, acres to that island. And it's real. Uh, And just like a volcano, you can't just stop and manage the lava flow. Uh, The real thing you need to do is figure out what's going on deep down inside. And so as we go through this last complaint, and maybe you have you remember all the other complaints through Malachi, uh, I hope you understand that it's not just the outward complaint that God wants to deal with. He wants to deal with the issue of your heart. What is the root of that complaint? against God, and where does that come from? And as people, we need to be wise enough, um, you know, just like with our kids, we don't say, like a kid lashes out in anger, and we don't say, okay, you're in trouble because you've lost the tools of containing your anger, and you need, we need some more tools so you can just bottle all of that up, and then you'll be a better human being. No, what do we do? We dig deep. We ask good questions. What do you feel when that just happened? What did you want to happen? What's going on internally? Is there sadness? Because that sort of feels like anger. Disappointment? Let me read this passage in Malachi, and you'll see that there are two groups addressed. Uh, one group is the group that has no in- It's the popular group. The majority, they have no interest in the things of God. And the other group is uh, the people of God, the faithful. They finally... Speak up at the end of this. So let me read Malachi chapter 3, beginning of verse 13. If you don't have a Bible, the Blue and White Bibles, it's page uh, 519. Uh, Malachi 3, Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord, but you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as, a, as in mourning before the Lord of hosts. And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. A book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared his name, feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. And I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubbled. The day that is coming shall Set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leap, leaping like calves from the stall and you shall tread down the wicked for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah, uh, Elijah the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children, and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. And so begins 430 years of silence before we have... um, John the Baptist coming uh, as a Elijah, a proclaiming of the messenger, and Jesus coming. These two groups, like I mentioned before, uh, the first group is the group that has complained throughout this book. They are the popular group, the majority. They make up the, the mass of the population. They have the loudest voice, and they're complaining that God is not the God he should be. He should be a much different God to them. There's no repentance in their life or confession from the hardness of their heart. Instead, they are defensive, give excuses, and they accuse God. It's not really their fault, it's God's fault. Because they worked out a deal with God and God is not sticking to his end of the bargain, which he never committed to. And the questions through this book are really, is it even worth to serve this God? Because the popular, the majority say, it really doesn't appear so. Your faith is wasted. It would be better to ignore God and take all you can from life. And this cycle in their life of those here that are hardened of heart will continue until there is repentance. The second group are the God-fearers, verses 16 through 18. This group appears as a remnant of faith. Uh, Not a perfect people, but a people who say, no, this is what I believe. And they believe the scriptures that they have. And they're characterized by four things. One, they spoke to one another as a faithful community. The community knew how important it was to gather, uh, to be with each other, to be side by side, and they surely had their doubts, but they stood with each other in faithfulness as best they could. And this is not an imaginary people, This this is you and I, this is us. We gather on a Sunday morning, and I know this happens often, I know because I hear stories from you is you show up on a Sunday morning, and some of you show up and say, this is it. I'm giving church one more chance, and I'm done. I'm done with this God, with this Christianity. It is way too hard. And you come. And sometimes in the wonderful stories I hear is that someone embraces you, and you spend time walking down the hallway or Standing after church and one of you is weeping or visibly angry and shaking and saying, I just want to be done. And you're met by someone who's not giving you all the answers but is with you. There's something about just being with someone who cares, who you know will show you compassion. The people in your life uh, who tell you the truth about God. Not the people who say, great, I see your problem. Here's a book, which we're fond of doing as Presbyterians. Here's a book. Get back to me and I'll give you another one. But actually, just be there with someone and maybe feel the awkwardness of, like, I don't know what to do. But you're with them. What this group did, they spoke to one another. They shared with each other. They opened up their life with each other. They surely felt the pain of the complaints that were directed toward their God from the majority of the people in their culture. They surely felt those, and it stung and it hurt. And I imagine numerous ones of them said, wow, their argument really makes sense. I wonder if this is all wasted. But they were with each other. They moved toward each other. They spoke the truth to each other. Uh, no matter how d- deep you understand this, just being a human being, uh, you need people. And you need people who will tell you the truth and who will meet you where you are. But those people are not your saviors. Those people, that is not the thing, that's not your deepest need. You need those people who will point you to what is really true. So this group of people, they, they spoke to each other It says, the Lord paid attention to them. The Lord heard their cry. God faithfully listens and hears his people. He is not far off. He is near. He hears your plea. He hears your brokenness. He hears your confusion. He hears your complaint that your life is not turning out the way it should. The way you think it should. He hears you. One of the themes throughout the Bible is that God hears his people. He's, he meets them. He's with them. He listens. He cares. And he never, ever forsakes them. Meaning, as a, a people of God, your complaint against God, your frustration against God can never be so great that he'll say, you know what? I'm done. Never, ever Will he do that? Because he has sealed himself to you through the work of Jesus. So they gathered together. God listened to them, and they wrote a book of remembrance. This is not a book that God is writing. This is a book that the people write. They write a book of remembrance. They remember who they are as God's people and the history of God's people this is sort of like a covenant renewal contract. You could maybe imagine it as if um, like many times people have been married for so many years, they want to have a, um, a renewing their vows ceremony. Uh, they're not, it's not anything new, but what they're saying is that the husband says, you're still the one I love and want to make a priority in my life. And the wife says the same thing. That's what's happening here to the people of God. They're writing this book of remembrance. And this remembrance was written knowing that they were in the minority. Their contemporaries were against trusting this God because life seemed to work out much better. But we're called here, as God's people, to remember. Every day is new, but we also set into each day, uh, step into each day with a, a history. And in your own life, what does God's faithfulness look like? What does God's faithfulness to you look like? Because really, as a community, we want to hear that. Because it encourages our faith, because maybe you have walked through something just like someone across the room has walked through. And they need to hear, God met me. And it was uncomfortable, and it was hard, and you wept, and you were angry, and you were broken. But as you look back, you know that God met you and walked with you, and he never forsaked you. We need to remember together, how do you recount God's faithfulness? And then this group feared and esteemed the Lord. They set their priorities to those priorities that God had that God was to be honored. Think about these four things in your life, in in your community. Uh, Are you you in a community that you have people that are speaking to you the truth of God? Uh, Are you in a community where uh, you, you talk about remembering God's faithfulness, and you point to what is true, and you fear the Lord together, you walk in faithfulness, in the struggle of faithfulness together. This was God's people at the end of the Old Testament. This remnant who was clinging on to this. And then what is so shocking is that the next thing that happens, it gets worse. In a sense, it gets worse. The remnant of people and then 430 years of silence. It's just quiet. I would suffer horribly. Uh, these people have no, they don't have the scripture. They, they, it's not a fully compiled. They're, they're, not, um, they're not hearing God's direction. It's just silence, generation after generation after generation. And then what does God do? In God's time, he fulfills his promise. And what's his promise? That there's a Savior coming. That Jesus is coming. And he will fulfill everything. He is the one you are looking for. But before Jesus comes, there is silence and suffering and hurt. And God walks with his people through all of that. And this day is coming, the day of the Lord. Uh, this this phrase, the day of the Lord, uh, can be a day in Scripture that is a day of judgment, a day of fear for those who are trying to do things in their life without God. They want to separate everything they can from the commands of God, and the day of the Lord will be a day of judgment. For those who rest in Christ, who receive God's grace and forgiveness, uh, this is a day of joy. And as you look forward from the Old Testament, the day of the Lord, it's the coming of Christ, the first coming of Christ, and the second coming of Christ. The day of the Lord is coming. And in this day, the two groups of people will be evident, the righteous and the wicked. Those who fear and those who are arrogant. The stiff-necked and those who are repentant. You know, God calls his people uh, a treasured possession. And uh, what is so significant about this is this treasured possession is spared from the wrath of God because Jesus has taken our wrath. This is a day of distinction. But it's also a day that brings healing. Chapter 4, verse 2 says, "Uh, The sun of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stalls. This is a day of joy. Joy. This is almost like uh, what's described in Revelation 21. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And behold, who has seated who was seated on the throne? Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Remember. remember in this passage here in verse three, it, um, it says a phrase that can be taken very wrongly. It talks about uh, verse 3 says, and you shall tread down the wicked, uh, like trampling on the wicked. This is not a day that the Christians get to walk over and mock the evil, okay? The evil people. This is not what it's describing. What's describing is a reversal that true justice is known and experienced. It's that there is freedom the faithful have that God's justice will be known throughout the earth so the day of the lord is a great day but is also a dreadful day verse 4 says again remember to call to remember as you look to the future live for god now and know the future that is promised That when Jesus returns, uh, there will be justice. And there will be ultimate freedom and peace for God's people. So how do you become one of these people? This just sounds wonderful. We obviously, we want to be in that group. It's having faith in the great work of Jesus, in his perfect life, in his atoning death. And it's repenting of your sin. It's realizing and admitting to your own stiff-necked living and rebellion. And it's repenting of that. And it's receiving God's grace. See, it's not, it's not living more righteous. It's resting in this gift. And what happens? Then we are made into a new creation. Our heart is more soft. We're we're more prone to uh, repentance and faith and proclaiming the great work of Jesus. Your full peace and joy and health is not uh, promised here on earth. It is a future promise that is fulfilled when Christ returns. And so this is not an idea that uh, we can say, well, that's just future stuff. It doesn't really help me today. It does help you today. Because you do not have to repay what you think should be justice. God will do that. And you can rest in Jesus because he has earned something for you that you could never earn for yourself. And at the end of this, Moses and Elijah are mentioned as key men uh, God used to lead his people. Moses represents uh, the law of God. Elijah represents the prophets of God. And if you've read through some of the uh, Gospels in the New Testament, uh, the transfiguration in Matthew 17, who is there? Moses and Elijah. The law and the prophets. And they're saying, uh, this is the Savior you have been looking for. This is him. God's reply in the end of this in Malachi is, uh, these people are mine, they are my treasured possession, and he spares them. It is only because of God's great love that he has called a people to himself and he has claimed them and cleansed them and sealed them. So the day of the Lord, the return of Christ, is not a fearful day for your soul. It is a day that you will know the fullness of what it means to be in Christ. And so as people, our calling is is not to just wake up every day and point to, that's a day someday that'll be great. But understand Uh, your calling is to live in this peace today and proclaim this message today. Proclaim the reality of the Lord's day, that the Lord will return and there will be judgment and justice and there will be peace for the people who are kept by God. As Christians, we are to be a people who uh, proclaim this great message. We live out what this peace means. One writer says it this way, no one serves God and loses. No one trusts in God and loses because of God's promise that we can read and remember that increases our faith. What also increases our faith Being in community with people. I would say if this is something that you are lacking, uh, we have an avenue for that here at Westside. And they're called community groups. First, let me tell you, none of them are perfect. None of them are perfect. Okay? So it'll make it easier to choose one. But this is the avenue that we have. We want you to be connected. We want you to be in a group where you can share things that are hard. We want you to hear about other people's lives. We want you to uh, turn from sin and rest in Christ and be encouraged in your faith. And if you'd like to be in one of these imperfect groups, and as you join them, you'll make them more and more imperfect. We would love for you to join one. Send me an email. Connect with the people around you. Ask them who are they connected to. So as this Old Testament ends, as this book of Malachi ends, it would be good for us to remember that we are called to live as God's people, just as this remnant at the end of Malachi were are called to live. Faithful, remembering the truth of God with each other. That's how we're called to live. And what we celebrate this morning as we celebrate every Sunday is the Lord's Supper where we remember this is why we gather, because Jesus gave everything so we can be set free. Uh, Would you pray with me as we prepare our hearts to come and uh, receive this table, the elements of this table this morning? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that we come. We can come in our weakness and uh, even troubled and weak faith. Uh, We can come to uh, be nourished by your truth and by this meal and by the great work of Jesus. We pray as we come that you would reveal more of the sin that we so want to hide. And we would be moved to repentance. and We pray that your spirit would convince us of the truth of the great work of Jesus. And we would be people who move out this morning and proclaim the goodness and mercy of Jesus. Thank you that you meet us here this morning. We pray that uh, we would be nourished. In Jesus' name. We pray, amen.